Hello, I'm Tom Melville. Welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. This week we have something a little different for you. Lucy Kinbacker is Livestock Editor for The Land, based in Tamworth. She has her own podcast, Hear Them Roar. She's been invited inside the homes of teenage paraplegics, widowed farmers, bushfire victims and those struck with rare illnesses, seeking out uplifting stories of unimaginable courage. Lucy spoke recently with Mike Wilson, a livestock agent giving only a few weeks to live by doctors. This is his story, in his own words. Uh, going from having six weeks to live, to look at a bloke in the eye who said, I think I can help you, was, uh, was fairly redeeming. I'm Lucy Kimbacker and you're listening to Hear Them Roll, brought to you by The Land. This is a story Mike Wilson never wanted you to hear, but it could save your life. If you attend a bull sale in New South Wales, there's a high chance you know the well-known livestock agent I'm talking about. He often wears a vest, even on a warm day, and there are a bunch of big cards wedged inside his sale catalogue. Whether it's your first time meeting him or a routine occasion at a sale, Mike always greets you with a smile and a warm g'day. But in 2020, as he found his seat in the packed grandstand, few people knew that he was holding on to a story not many people would even live to tell. In fact, Mike shouldn't have been there at all. About 18 months earlier, doctors had told him he had just six weeks to live. He was riddled with cancer and there was nothing his local experts could do to help him. But if you've met Mike before, you'll know he's determined. Never get on the wrong side of a bidding duel with him. He wanted to prove doctors wrong and found the key to survival started in the most unlikeliest place, with a livestock climb. But before we get to that, I want to take you right back to the beginning and Mike's childhood, because you quickly come to understand that even when the odds have been against him, this man proves everyone wrong. I'm one of seven kids, and the eldest of five boys. We had a, there was a girl at the lead and a girl at the tail and five boys in the middle, and I was the eldest of those five boys. My dad was a, a structural, well, my mother called him a structural engineer, but he called himself a boilermaker. But he had his own business and he employed uh, one of my brothers as an apprentice. And uh, uh, But um, I, went to the, I went to his engineering works once in my whole life. Uh, but I used to go up to uh, my mum's people's farms up at Broke in the Hunter Valley and saddle a pony and bring the carved heifers out of the hill and that sort of thing and uh, that was my forte. They were all city kids. And Where did the love for horses come from? Um, well I was, uh, when I was a, a little kid I was in the pony club in Newcastle and uh, that's how I come to go jackarooing. I, I had a pony out at the old Waratah Abattoir in Newcastle and I, after school I used to get the bus out there and the head stockman was a fella called Bill Young and uh, I used to saddle a pony and go with him and get the cattle down for the next day's kill. And in those days the AA company used to kill a lot of cattle at Waratah, at Newcastle Abattoirs. And Old Dolph Schmidt was the uh, recently retired boss of the AA car 
and he used to drive down from Gunnaganoo and see the cattle killed. And the day before, he'd buy me a corned meat and pickle sandwich and a black tea and quiz me about where they'd had the cattle and what feed they'd been on and so on. And then he started telling me stories about the Kimberley and the Territory and the Top End. And you could have stood on my eyeballs and cut my fringe. And I said to him, Mr. Schmidt, I said, could you get me a job up you know, there working for you, that company? And he said, you get your father to sign a letter and you give it to me. And he said, I'll get you a start. Because by that time, his son, Trevor, was the managing director of uh, AACO. And uh, so uh, the next thing I was, um, I was off at 14 and a half and Jack Roon. But I'd always had a... To answer your question, I'd always had a, um, a love of horses, which I think I got from my mother and my mother's uh, my grandfather on my mother's side, who was a, a horseman. I left home when I was 14 and a half. I got on a train on uh, Australia Day, and I didn't turn 15 till the 26th of July that year. And I went jack with the AA company. And in those days, you only had to get your father to sign a letter to say that you could go, and they'd employ you. And then I went from there up into the the Kimberley in the Territory, and then Rotham Park, up in the Gulf. In those cattle camps, when you're 15 and everybody else is, you know, 20 odd and some older than that, some of those ringers have been up there for years. A lot of them are running from something and they're never going to come back to your level you've got to go up to theirs but when we'd get mail in the stock camp everybody read each other's letters some fellas didn't get any so but anyway we all read our letters and that it was a big thing to uh to get a letter but my father in his wisdom he got me a subscription, uh, a yearly subscription um, for all the time I was in away to the Bulletin magazine. And the Bulletin covered everything. And uh, it, it was, you know, um, politics and current affairs and general knowledge and the arts and sport and you name it. And... Uh, I virtually educated myself with the Bulletin magazine and uh, we used to read it from cover to cover and some of those fellows couldn't read too good so I'd have to I'd read it to them and uh, that uh, we used to look forward to that Bulletin magazine coming into the cattle camps every month and uh, we read the we, we read it back to front um, but I thank my dad for that because uh, that's how I sort of educated myself to understand the written word. And then I'd had enough of crocodiles and snakes and your swag. So I, I came back and I went to Sydney and uh, I walked the streets looking for a job because the monsoons had come in early that year and it was October. And of course, they didn't want to put young fellas on until their intake in January. And I remember I was at O'Connell Street in Sydney, 
and uh, which was Elder's head office. And uh, I saw a bloke called Phil Rainsford, and he was the personnel manager. Today they'd call him Human Resources. And he said, you come back in January. Anyway, I was in the lift going down and uh, a bloke got in the lift and he looked at me and I had the biggest hat that had ever come out of North Queensland and Cuban Hill boots. And he said, where on earth have you come from? And I said, Rotham Park in Cape York. And uh, he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm after a job. And I said, that old bastard upstairs won't give me one till January. And he hit the button on the lift and he said, you better come up with me. He said, my name's Kevin Thomas. He said, I'm the boss of Elders. Mike was just 18 years of age when he started as an agent with Elders and worked his way up the ranks of the livestock agency game for the last 52 years. Life was going well for the 68-year-old. He was working for his own brand and buying bulls for clients as far as Alice Springs, South Australia, Victoria, Southern Queensland and New South Wales. But when he took a holiday to South America at the end of 2018, something wasn't right. I guess health-wise, when did you notice something was wrong? Well, how, how did that play out? Well, I went to uh, South America and uh, that was at the end of 2018. And I found I wasn't sick, but I was incredibly tired. And if I walked, if I walked 200 metres, I'd, I'd have to sit down. I couldn't, couldn't go any further. And uh, I was just, just this lethargic... Um, short of breath and uh, I knew something was wrong with me it wasn't me so uh, when I got back of course it was Christmas time and then New Year and I went and saw my GP and he said to me oh you're a typical agent you drink too much and you drive too many k's and you spend too much time on the telephone and anyway I eventually got to have a couple of scopes and uh, when they woke everybody up and uh, they gave you a cup of tea and a biscuit and I got up and they said you're not going anywhere you up back down there and then they wheeled me into the hospital and they x-rayed me and uh, then the physician uh, came and saw me and he said I've got some bad news he said um, you've got uh, cancer and he said it's in your pancreas and your liver and it's gone into your stomach and you do duodenal sleeve it's in the portal vein and it's gone up into your lungs I said have you got any good news and uh, he said well this is way above our head and it's nothing that we can do here we'll send you to John Hunter I said I don't want to go to John Hunter I want to go to St Vincent's Anyway, so one of my great clients that I look after their, buy their bulls and look after their commercial cattle enterprise is the Perich family. And they've got uh, Billabong and Lake Cowl stations on the bland north of West Wyland. And uh, Ron Perich, I rang him and he made a phone call and... Uh, Next thing, I was in an air flight plane on my way to St Vincent's. And when I got there, uh, the care flight people were very good. They never left the side until they got me into a bed. And then uh, 
I saw a, uh, a surgeon who came and saw me and uh, he said, I've had a look at your scans and things and he said, um, I think I can help you. So uh, going from having six weeks to live to look at a bloke in the eye who said, I think I can help you, was, uh, was fairly redeeming. What was going through your head when he gave you that prognosis? Like it would have, I'm guessing a lot of people, like you say, it would be so easy to give up and, and to think that's all they could do for you. You think of all the bad things you've done in your life. <laughs> but uh, no, really, I never, ever, I can honestly say, I never, ever thought I was going to die. I thought they're all wrong, I'll win. And my, and my surgeon, he was more positive than me, and that helps a lot. And uh, I was pretty positive. I, uh, when they told me what I was going to do, what they were going to do, and uh, he said to me, there's a, a big chance you'll die on the table. And uh, anyway, I said to him, mate, I'll go to Randwick every Saturday with those odds. And he said, I like your attitude, so let's go. But I went down to the little chapel on the ground floor at St Vincent's, St Vincent's uh, private. And uh, anyway, I went in there and I looked up at old mate and I said to him now, I said, um, I'll do a deal with you. I said, um, I won't come back to the sacraments because I don't like some of your agents here on earth. But I said, I'll deal direct with you and you get me through this and I'll keep talking to you. And he did get me through it, and I've kept my part of the deal. But I think you have to have something like that, where I sort of handed it over to him and said, I know I'll be right. And and that makes you pretty positive, because it's, it'd be very easy just to lie down and let it kick you. What followed was a 10-and-a-half-hour surgery to remove half of his pancreas, half of his liver, and build an artificial stomach out of his own membrane. He underwent three months of rehabilitation, fading from 92 kilograms down to 60, and initially was fed out of a blue bag he nicknamed the feedlot. It was, um, it was a bit of a marathon, but uh, and, I, and to my knowledge, uh, I was a bit of a guinea pig. But uh, he... He wanted someone who was relatively young enough and relatively strong enough and certainly positive enough that it'd be successful. He, he uh, is such a positive fellow in himself that he didn't want failure. How much do you owe to him or, or I guess have you spoken to I him? I paid him. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. I'm sure you'll forever be in debt to what he did for you. Of course, and I still talk to him on a regular basis. Uh, he's always available to talk to me. Um, and um, he gave me my life. So how do you put a price on that? What was that rehab period like? Was that pretty tough, I'm guessing? Yeah, it was. was involved? It was. Uh uh, with the artificial stomach, I couldn't um, I couldn't eat, so they they had me on a a drip. It was a big blue bag on this stand, and I christened it the feedlot. And uh, 
the feedlot used to drip into you all day and night and uh, with all the nutrients and things and so on. That, and uh, the feedlot managers used to come in in their white coats and they'd ask you a lot of questions and I thought that was all very good. But then when I got home, I got their bill. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'd be kidding myself if uh, there was a fair bit of pain involved and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, that's one of the things about getting up in the fight. In true Mike style, he was still selling cattle from his hospital bed in St Vincent's. While he was unable to physically inspect or draft cattle, he still managed to book in loads of cows and source the best rate before he returned home. I ended up uh, coming home to Armidale and we've got a, love, a wonderful uh, new oncology clinic here. And uh, anyway, uh, so I started a chemo program on a thing called uh, autoimmune. And uh, that worked for me thankfully and uh, so I was having it weekly and then fortnightly and then I've been back to monthly and uh, last week um, the oncologist every three months I have full scans CT scans etc and uh, they run the dye through me and he said all the tumours are gone so uh, he said um, We'll take you back to two monthly and then three monthly just as insurance. But um, at this stage, uh, touch wood, I look like I'm, uh, I'm tumour free. So I've gone from having six weeks to live to uh, you're going to have to put up with me for a bit longer. Yeah, it was a marvellous turnaround. And, um, you know, I think that I've had a great oncologist who comes from Royal North Shore. Uh, and the oncology nurses at the clinic here in Armidale have been fantastic. Um, nothing's a trouble to them. And, um, yeah, but uh, I think you have to be pretty positive too. Uh, it's not an easy fight, but, you know, getting knocked down in life is a given. But getting up is a choice, so I chose to get up. Muhammad Ali got knocked down in his fight against Sonny Liston. And Angelo Dundee, the famous trainer, he said it nearly all ended there. And he said he got up on one knee and looked at me and he got up, hung on, ended up winning the fight and the rest is history. But it could have all ended there on the canvas. So you've got a choice, get up. You've got to be positive. What's life like now for you, I guess, or in 2020? Did you go on any crazy bucket list trip or anything? I did uh, I did fly to Hawaii and uh, they were worried about a... They didn't know whether I had a clot or a tumour in the portal vein. And they said, if you fly and it's a clot, it could kill you. So I rang my optimist, the surgeon... Um, and I said to him, what should I do? And he said, do you know, Mike, he said, the reason you've been through all you've been through is so that you can live. He said, so get on the plane and go and live. So I did. I went to Hawaii for a uh, 
for a week or so. When I first approached Mike to ask to share his story, he wasn't too sure about it. Mike is a private person. He wasn't looking for sympathy. But a few days later, we caught up again at a bull sale and agreed people needed to hear his story. Mike is only too happy to chat to someone who is facing grim odds and offers some life-saving advice and recommendations. He's already gone on to help save at least one other person in the bush. Since then, I've uh, sent another fellow down to him who had days to live. And he was in the bush and they couldn't do anything for him. And we got him on a, on a flight to Sydney and uh, uh, my fellow operated on him and his wife rang me and she said, uh, I've got to thank Wally Merriman who rang me about this fellow and yourself uh, for giving me my husband's life back. He's sitting up in bed and that was on the Monday after the Saturday operation. So, you know, the, to me, the whole idea of telling you this story is that if we can save one more fella, it's worth it. What's the big advice you would give to someone having gone through what you went through? Be positive. Never, ever give up. And... Go to the best. Don't muck around in the bush. Not to, you know, there's great doctors in the bush, but go to the top. And if you go to the best men, uh, it's marvellous today what they can do for you. You know, my advice is be positive, but put your foot down and demand to go to the best. There's no loyalties in this business when it comes to living. And, um, yeah, so when these people are available and they've got that expertise, for God's sake, use it. As you can hear from this clip, Mike has a very determined fighting mentality. It turns out he was a boxer in his schoolboy days, and even then the odds were stacked against him. I trained under a bloke called Tommy Maguire who was just uh, opposite the Broadmeadow Racecourse. Only uh, schoolboy boxing. But I had 27 fights. And uh, the last one, a, uh, a bloke from New Zealand uh, knocked me out, a big Maori fellow. He knocked me out for four days. And when I woke up, my father said, I've just burnt your boxing gloves. <laughs> but... Uh, as a an old uh, great old mate of mine who used to uh, run the land newspaper called Mike Harvey, he always used to say, "If you can't uh, beat him in a fight, Mike, hit him with your scrapbook." <laughs> so, because uh, we had a lot of good yarns over the years and a few beers, Mike Harvey and I were still great mates. But uh, yeah. He, he loved me telling him the story about uh, about the time Gabriel Farfar knocked me out for four days. <laughs> so that was the end of that a brilliant it. career. <laughs> so well, well, look, you, you, you've won the best fight of all, really. The most important fight of all. In hindsight, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. 
Mike Wilson was sitting on the back deck of his Armadale home when I visited him. The sun was shining and spring had sprung, but the most warmth seemed to be coming from him. He may not have his own stomach anymore, but he has more guts than anybody I know. This year he turned 70, a milestone he was never supposed to reach. He had planned to hold a big party at the White Bull Hotel in Armadale to mark the occasion. COVID-19 restrictions may have halted those plans, but something tells me every day is worth celebrating when you've won the greatest fight of all. I was 68 um, when they told me I didn't have a long time to live and uh, that I turned 70. So that was a milestone for me. Um, and uh, who knows? Who knows how long you're going to have to put up with me? That was Mike Wilson speaking to the land's Lucy Kinbacker. Listen to more episodes of Hear Them Raw now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Just search Hear Them Raw. That's Raw, R-A-W. Voice of Real Australia will be back again in a couple of weeks. Until then, please enjoy our catalogue and happy holidays.